God, we praise you today. Oh, we lift up your holy name today, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. Well, it's our honor and privilege to have Sister Vonnie Marshall with us today. Amen. World-traveled evangelist, preacher of the gospel. Amen. And used of God in mighty ways. Now, I know, listen, if your kid goes into extra innings at the little baseball game, you, you don't leave after nine innings. Well, I know it's getting close to noon and customarily, but you're in it, you know, what is the custom? <laughs> I'd say if you just, uh, if we've had a few uh, uh, parts of the service, you know, it may, well, it's getting close to noon and I'm, I'm having a sugar high or whatever. Just know this, give the word it a chance today. Let him have his way. Let everybody else clear out of the restaurant. You'll have a, a wide open table. You won't have to take a number. That's a good thing. <laughs> amen. Somebody say amen. So uh, thank you for being patient today and being with us today. We're honored to have all of you, but especially Sister Bonnie Marshall. I told her to take her liberty, amen, to give us the word of the Lord today. And we're believing God to speak to us. Would you welcome Sister Bonnie Marshall as she comes today? Amen. Bless you, Sister Bonnie. Thank you, Pastor. Well, I'm planning to run out with Sister Jean at 1220. Those of you who are hungry can run out with me. <laughs> That'll be an excuse. <laughs> we have to go, Pastor. She's going too. <laughs> Lord, I love you. I give honor to Pastor Jean and Sister Jean for giving me an opportunity. This precious church for giving me a chance to speak my heart today. And to those who have been here and have come here with their babies to be dedicated, I ask you, Lord, to give us all an unshakable hope. An unshakable hope. Not a hope that disappears in the winds of adversity or in the heat of the moment, O oh Lord, but, but an unshakable, unrelenting, ballistic, strong hope. I thank you, Jesus. If everybody could just raise your hands all over this auditorium. This beautiful, already paid for auditorium. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I love this. Oh, how wonderful. I text Pastor Mangan this morning and I said, Well, I'm going to be with your favorite people. He said, Tell them they are my favorite people. The Jeans are such close friends of me and my husband, and my husband regrets he couldn't be here this time, but he's leaving for California tomorrow morning to preach. And, um, and so, Second Peter chapter 1 and 4. Thank you, media. What would we do without media? They, they get very little out of service. They're just making sure everything is spelled right. <laughs> Whereby by which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I saw the families come forward with their babies and pastor talk about cathedrals and I thought what an opportunity to start over. Sometimes I wish I could press a reset button in my own life. You know in the car, you, not the car, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> please. But there are things that you can just press a reset button and oh it starts all over again you feel kind of brand new I wish I could start a reset button and 
and, and, and go back on the mistakes that I've made and some of the things that, that has happened and some things that I've said to people that I should not have said and, and some, some attitudes that I've taken when people have said things to me that they should not have said. Oh, Lord, I wish I had a reset. But perhaps there is a button after all. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud. There it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Wow. You can read magazines and novels and books and all kinds of stuff. Even the ones that are sort of slightly educated ones. And, um, <laughs> and not full of fake stories about who made off with who. <laughs> like we're interested. Oh, my goodness. And when you speak those words, they, they fall dead to the ground. But the Bible. But the word of the Lord. And Pastor, your message today to those families was the Sunday message as far as I'm concerned. I'm just tagging along. Turn around and tell someone, I want unshakable hope. And the families that you brought your babies today, give them unshakable hope with your own life. The examples that you will set, your good families. Your precious families. You know why? Because you chose for an apostolic church to dedicate your babies. God will never forget that. And he will honor you for your great decision today. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. You know, the heroes in the Bible came from all walks of life, Pastor. Then they were strange, a, a kind of a strange conglomeration of different people. You know, they were rulers and servants, teachers and farmers, homemakers. Yes, they were homemakers. I know you don't believe that, but they were. Doctors, tent makers. They were male, female, single and married, young and old. Fathers, mothers, children, grandparents. They were all there. But there was one common denominator united them all. They built their lives on the promises of God. They didn't care whether they were bricklayers, farmers, doctors, psychologists, educators, blind or seeing, rich or poor. They built their lives on what God said. And because of God's promises, because of his promises, Noah believed in rain even before rain was a word. I mean, Noah didn't look at the Webster's thesaurus and said, rain is a word. Rain wasn't a word, but he believed there was something that wasn't even a word yet. Are you in a place where you're, that you're, you can believe in something that's not even here yet? That's not even in existence yet. I want to be there. There are times I'm not there. There are times, Sister Jean, that I'm str I struggle with, with um, the, the, the invisible. I'm so used to the visible. I, I feel safer when I can touch and feel and see the trees and the plants. And Illinois is so beautiful in the fall. You know, Louisiana is all green. Or brown. Green or brown. Two colors. We have to be thankful for two colors. <laughs> but you've got 40,000 colors and I'm jealous. God help me. Noah believed in rain. And then he built a boat 
and he was ridiculed because he believed in God and built something monstrous and built something that didn't even, wasn't even on water. He built it on dry ground. What were you thinking of, Noah? Are you nuts? You know? And because of God's promises, Abraham left a home. You know what he left a home for? Not another home. He left a home for one he'd never seen. He, he left a home not because God said, I'm giving you one with four swimming pools and eight rooms. Now, I'm not giving you a palace, Abraham. I'm just asking you to walk in a desert, in, a, in the sand dunes, and, and you're going to get sunburned, and you're going to get accused, and, 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 and you're, gonna, you're even going to be tempted to lie about your wife. I just want you to walk. I, I would have just said, no, <laughs> no, what? No, no, I picked out the drapes in my house, and I got it at a sale. And I fought Black Friday. And I won some. And I'm not moving from this pretty little house that my husband and I live for somewhere. I don't even know where you're taking me. And I'm not prepared to live in some tent in some hot house or some hot desert, depending on what, lizard soup? Iguana kebabs? Actually, kebab sounds good right now. Not iguana, but... Actually, quite a lot sounds good right now, Switch. I didn't have breakfast. And then we're running to the airport. I love my life. I now just have to believe it. Oh, my goodness. He left a home. He left the comfort zone to something hot. And, and I'm telling you, sometimes nothing is going to keep you there except the promise of God. Sometimes nothing is going to keep you trudging along the hot desert journey that you've decided. Except that God said, I am with you until the end of time. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua let two million people into enemy territory. Why? Because God said, I'm going to give you the land. Because of God's promises, David took out a giant, a little boy, took out a, to, I mean, it's like a mini poodle trying to take out a Rottweiler because of God's promises. And Peter rose from the ashes of regret, and Paul found grace worth dying for. One writer, one writer in the Hebrews 6 went as far as to call such saints heirs of the promises of God. So when you belong or when you believe in a promise, you become an heir. I now know how to become an heir of God. Just believe in what he said. It is as if the promise was the family fortune and they were all smart enough to attend the reading of the will. You want to be smart enough to attend the reading of the will? There's a family fortune waiting for you. Don't be late. Don't be late after the will has been read and then you get there and everything has already been given out. And then you get grandma's vase. The one you hated. 
And by faith, Abraham and called, when God called him to go to a place, he would later receive, later, he would, much later, he would receive as his inheritance obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Oh, many of them lived in tents. Lived in comfort. They lived, I don't know what they left. Abraham was actually uh, from a wealthy family. They, they, you know, his father built, Id I mean, uh, uh, um, structured idols, and he was an idol maker. But they were a wealthy family. And, and then he just left everything and went off. His family must have thought he was just insane. Oh, hi. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Hmm. And by faith, even Sarah, she was past childbearing age. No wonder she laughed. I know that she was ridiculed for laughing. I'm sorry, but I would have. I'm sorry. She laughed. And Sarah laughed. God got mad. Well, you know what? If somebody told me when I was 98 or 95 I was going to have a baby, I would laugh and then I'll punch him. <laughs> After laughing, I would hit him. I would say, don't you dare come there with a the prophecy like that to me. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, please give it to somebody else. Yeah. Sarah's like, what? I'm the one who's going to go through it, Abe. Abraham better not have gotten spiritual that morning. Yeah, she laughed. She was like, oh, my God. You are, you're crazy. You lost your mind. I know you're 100, but it must be the heat. It's melted your brain cells. I don't even want to. He's like, he's like I'm sorry, but God, don't you go there. And by faith, Abraham and God tested him, offered Isaac, offered his own son. It's going to take a lot of faith for the precious families that came here today that are going to build those cathedrals that are right now dressed in beautiful baby dedication, white, beautiful clothes. And they look so precious. They look like dolls. Those babies, they did. And I was like, oh, my God. I want to go grab one of them. But I'll probably get arrested, so. But God tested him and offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It's going to take faith and it's going to take you standing firmly with your, uh, your feet nailed to the ground. And no matter how much that the devil can push you here and there and buffet you about, you have to stand your ground so that that babies, those babies will make it and more than make it. He... He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his only one. Isaac, uh, sorry, Isaac was God's promise. And God was now asking him to sacrifice the promise for another promise. And there will be times when you would be asked to give up one promise to another. But then we'll gain both. You'd get them both. <laughs> the list goes on for several verses. 
you already know where this is headed. Jacob trusted God's promises. Joseph trusted God's promises. Moses trusted God's promises. Their stories were different, but the theme was the same. God's promises were pole stars in the pilgrimages of faith. One student of scripture attempted to tally the number of promises God has actually uh, made available to humanity here and that we are beneficiaries of, and he came up with 7,487 promises. I actually, most days, just need one. I'm with you. I won't leave you, Vani. I know today you might have a hard day, but I won't leave you. I'm with you. I'm going to speak to you. I'll comfort you. Go through that, that death or funeral or, or loss or grief or anxiety or whatever. Go, just trudge along, but I'm going to be by, by your side all the way. Just one, but he's given you, according to this student of Scripture, 7,487 7, promises. God's promises are like pine trees, you know, in the Rocky Mountains. Have you seen pine trees in the Rockies? My husband and I, we were evangelizing in Montana, you know. Yeah, I know, it was moose everywhere and nobody else. I said, Marshall, yeah, I think we're not going to be able to preach here. There's no one here. He said, no, we'll just keep driving. I said, yes, but there's a lot of moose. He said, okay, well, at least they'll listen. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> It was beautiful. Montana, is, it's just gorgeous, you know, like so many places in our great nation. But you know what? God's promises. I looked at those pine trees and I said, Marshall, look at that. They are abundant. They are unbending. You come here 200 years later and they still be there. Perennial. God's promises are perennial. Some of, prom some of the promises are positive. God's pro thank God we need positive promises because alongside them, some of them are sort of negative, you know, promises of consequences if you're dumb enough to do something, stuff like that, yeah. Some are kind of negative and they guarantee consequences, but all are binding, all, the positive and the negative, they're all binding. You see, God is not only a promise maker, he's a promise keeper, Yes. And as God was preparing the Israelites to face a new land, he made a promise to them. He made a promise to them. Ezekiel 34 says, and you, have, you don't have to put it up if you can if you want to. Ezekiel 34 and 10. I am making a covenant with you. He says this, he's saying this to them just before he uh, is preparing the Israelites to, to, to face the new land. And he says, before all your people, I will do wonders. That will never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. I don't have to do it for me. I'm God. I'm already sure of who I am, where I came from, and whence I go. But for you, all these promises are not for me. They are for you. But if you will stand your ground and not be moved by the ebb and flow of life, you will see every one of them come to pass in your life at every moment, at every juncture of your journey. God did not, in his promise, he didn't emphasize the Israelite strength at all. If you look at Ezekiel 34, he wasn't emphasizing their strength. He didn't say, you're going to do all this and you're going to be this. and you're. He didn't. No, he emphasized his own strength. He did not underscore their ability.
ability. He highlighted his ability. He equipped them for the journey by headlining his capacity. He put down, he put himself on the billboard and said, I am God. I change not. I will be the beacon of light for you. If you will trust me, I will never let you down. And for the first chapter of scripture, the Bible makes a case for the dependability of God. Nine times the text reiterates, God said. God said. I'm so glad it says that, Pastor. And it doesn't say somebody else said or, well, you know, I, I know the apostles said a lot of things. But it doesn't say he said or she said or whatever. He says, God said. God said, and without exception, when God spoke, something powerful always happened. Whether the earth, well, earth opened up and swallowed people up, or the sun was thrown into the atmosphere, or the stars were scattered in the sky, whenever he spoke, something happened. Something powerful happened by divine decree. There was light, land, beaches, and creatures. God consulted no advisors. He didn't sit around and say, well, what do you think we should do? Do you think we should put the sun sort of 38, 38 degrees to the left and the moon of a, a 95 degrees? He, he didn't say anything like that. He, he, didn't, he needed no assistance. He spoke and it happened. That means God's word is sure. I know you've heard this many times before because I know your pastor and his wife. And I know they are people of faith. And I know they have preached on faith I don't know how many thousand times. But I'll tell you this. What does it mean when we as Christians say God's word is sure? You know, we, we, we say that. Sometimes it becomes a cliche. You know what it means? It means that what he says happens. It happens. Whether we believe it or not. Whether we move on or go away or walk away from God or stay, it happens. When God cleared his throat, the cosmos appeared. All he said was, <coughs> and, and, okay, stop that, God. <laughs> His authority was certain. You know, it was so certain that a Roman centurion didn't even require him to make the journey to his house. He's, 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 he, it was so sure that this officer in the Roman military told Jesus to heal his, asked Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus was kind enough to offer to go, but I think Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He's God. In the flesh. So Jesus wanted to. He always sets up. He sets up everything, doesn't he? So that his disciples will learn. So he says, let me go with you. No, no I don't want you to go. Yeah, I knew you'd say that. Yeah, I sort of knew you'd say that. I wanted them to. I wanted these, some of these unbelieving people that are struggling to, to, to see this, this, this script right here. You don't want me to go? No. No. I don't deserve for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. The heathen officer. Just say the word. Say the word. Heathen. Yeah. He just believed. I don't even, I don't think he was a convert yet, pastor. He just, he just felt that this man had the answers. This rustic rabbi from the north had an answer for his situation. You know? But the over-sanctified saints that were following him. You know, sometimes we're so long in the church, we get over-sanctified. God, let that not happen to me. We get jaded. We want light show. 
We, 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 we want, you know, some, some miraculous moon turning red and the sun falling down on our head or something for, 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 for us to believe that, oh, God is working. We, we always, we follow signs. And God said the faithless and faithless follow after signs. But that no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For like he was three days in the belly of a whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days. And he was talking about his resurrection. After three days, I'm going to rise again. And if I don't show you another miracle, you better believe me because I'm alive and I'm well. I was dead, but I live. And forevermore, I am not dead anymore. You're not worshiping a dead Savior. You're worshiping a God that is alive and well. The centurion pastor, you know what he said. I myself was a man, I'm a man under authority. I tell this one go and he goes. And I tell the other one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this he was amazed. And said to those following him. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Nothing makes God more happy than faith. Than belief. If you want to make God happy. And you want to come up with a list. You go right ahead. I just want to believe in his promises. You've said it God. And it's going to happen. Whether I believe it or not. It's going to happen. But I choose to believe. And that makes God happy. And I want God happy with me. And then Jesus of course says to the centurion. Go. Go. Your servant is well. The word's gone forth. I don't have to do anything. The word that created this entire world's entire galaxies, the word that created the stars, the sky, the animals, the fowls of the air, and the beasts of the field, and, and separated the firmaments. That word has gone, centurion. That word has gone, and that word will resurrect your servant, will heal your servant. Why did Jesus applaud the faith of the centurion? So many other wonderful things has happened because that man believed in the power of Jesus to keep his word. That is why he applauded. It was not just the man believed that that was the word, but the man believed that God will keep his word. It is very important for us not just to become memory um, 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 people who memorize scripture, but then we have to step forward and say God's going to keep this word. Pastor, uh, uh, years ago, there was a prophet that came and laid hands on me and my wife and spoke a word that encouraged us and told us that things will get well. But I know that God will keep his word. It's not happened yet, but I know God will keep his word. Some of the things that you've been promised hasn't happened yet, but you've got to become a people that would believe that he keeps his word and not just makes words. He doesn't just make promises, he keeps it. And the Roman soldier understood the simple truth. God will not, indeed he cannot, break his promises. His covenants are contractually inviolable. You know what that means. You cannot violate that contract. God himself wouldn't violate it. He's the author of the promise and he wouldn't change it for a thing. Because he knows that his word and him are true. He's a God of integrity. He has great character. Written not in sand but carved in granite. And what he says will happen. It must 
James 1 says he's unchanging. He sees the end from the beginning. He's never caught off God by the unexpected. I don't serve a God that, that, that makes, he doesn't make any mid-course corrections. Have you ever done that? I have a GPS that I want to throw out of the car. Because she doesn't know, she's because it's a woman's voice. I call her Lucy. She's very annoying. Because she always takes me to somewhere where I cannot make a U-turn. She insists I can. She's not in sync with the satellite somehow. Or she's lost it. Or the battery's weak. You know? I have had to make mid-course uh, changes because Lucy got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Many times she gets it right. But many times she gets it wrong. God makes no mid-course corrections. He's not victimized by moods. Uh, or weather or tornadoes. He doesn't say, uh-oh, sorry, bad weather. This is not going to take off today. Y'all have to wait in the foyer. <laughs> he doesn't. He said, sorry, I've changed my mind about healing you. I'm in a bad mood today. One of my angels is acting up. <laughs> He's faithful. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He can be trusted to keep his promise. He's strong. He does not overpromise and underdeliver. Have you met people like that? I have. Yeah, in a used car lot. No, no offense here if anybody's selling cars, but I've just gone and it's overpromise and underdeliver, and I go home and I found out how underdelivered it is. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, where's the engine? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God's able to do whatever he has promised. It is impossible for him to lie. You know a rock cannot swim. You're like, okay, we know that. Yeah, we do know that, don't we? We know that. We, we've been around planet Earth long enough to know a rock cannot swim. <laughs> a rock just cannot, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, a hippo cannot fly. You cannot sleep on a cloud, and I don't care what those animated stuff says or oh, what game station you cannot sleep on a cloud yeah a hippo can't fly a rock cannot swim you cannot sleep on a cloud God cannot lie but we rather we, we, we are more confident that a rock cannot swim than God cannot lie uh, on our bad days we think he has that he's abandoned us and we secretly and silently accuse him of not keeping what he has said. We don't say it out loud because it's, 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 it's not nice. It's not Christian. But in our heart, we act like as though he's still dead and buried in a cave. But he's risen. He's risen. He's, a, he's risen. He's alive and well. He's poured out the Holy Ghost on all that, that will believe. Even as many as them that are called your children's children. Because he said he would. He told the 12, go back with joy. I'm going to come back again. And he did. He never exaggerates. God never manipulates. He doesn't fib. He doesn't flatter. The verse does not say it is unlikely that God or improbable that God will lie. No, the statement is clear. It says it is impossible for him to lie. 
I hold on to that sometimes. You know how I pray these days? I mean, I pray, I've prayed like this for a while. I pray the word of God. It's, it's, you know, you've learned that here. I'm sure pastor has preached about praying the word. And Sister Jean is, I know she believes in praying the word. I believe in praying the word because my words most of the time don't make sense at 6 in the morning. I'm usually like, hallelujah. That's about I can get out. And then by 6.20, I can make some sense. So I just open the 66 books of the Bible and I read out scriptures. You know how I pray these days? I said, Jesus, you said, that's what I say. I start, I start it like that. You said in, hang on a minute. I got it. You said in John chapter 8 that you said, I didn't, none of the apostles, in red letters as well. It's in red ink, Lord. Did you know that? That your words are in red ink. Okay. You said this. Well, that's how I pray. You said this. God, in Ezekiel, you said this. God, in Psalms, you said this. Well, well, I'm here. I'm standing on it. I'm reminding you because I believe it. And I know you believe it because you said it. And I don't care who else doesn't, but I believe it. Well, it's impossible for him to lie. In scripture, could not be more forthright. God cannot lie. Deceit is simply not an option. He does not. Everybody say not. Say he does not break promises. You know, good people are serious about keeping their word. Have you met good people? They're just decent people. They're so serious about keeping their word. They'll come and say, Pastor, I kept my word. Uh, I'm going to keep my word. I said I'll do it, and I'm going to do it. And it's a little late, but I'm going to do it. And you feel good hanging around them. How much more a good God is going to keep his promises? You believe in good people that would keep their promise. How much more a good God? What was said about God's faithfulness to Israel can be said about his faithfulness to us. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. That's Joshua 21. You can go read it. 21 and 45. Not one failed. Not one. And so if you believe that some of his fail, then you're saying that you're not the child of God. Because if you believe that you are a child of God, his promises to you will not fail. It will not fail. When throw up your hands in the air and say, God, I'm going to stand on your promises right now, this morning. For my babies that I'm dedicating, my families that I hear, I'm going to stand on the people in my family that are sick. They might be dying. There might be a divorce planning to happen. I'm going to stand on your promise. Whether the marriage is being shot, whatever attack the devil has brought to me, whatever ebb and flow of circumstances in my life, I am standing on your promise. So the question, my dear friends, is not, well, well, is not whether God will keep his promise, Pastor. That's not the question. That, that's never been the question. The question is whether you will build your life upon them. That's the question. Pastor, this morning challenge those precious families here who dedicated their beautiful babies that you need to claim the promises and the plan of God for those babies. You've got to claim it. The babies are not in the age where they can claim it by themselves until they understand it. But you have to claim it. So what is shaking in your world? 
this morning. There's a couple of things in my world that is not settled yet. My mother's still not saved. But just a few weeks ago, a cousin called me and said she went to church. And she doesn't, she lives in another country. She just walked into a church. And I shared this at conference. I found out the first thing I said was to my cousin who called me and said, did you know mama, did you know aunt and my mother, she went to a church? You know what I said? I said, why? I was so stunned. I said, why? Can you imagine God looking down at me and going, oh, I don't believe this girl. For years you've prayed for her to go to church and now you're like, why? And, I'm, and then I find out she didn't go to one of, you know, a church that I would have liked for her to go. She went to another church. And I got all miffed. Typical. I'm just being real. And I'm like, well, God, I mean, you took it to church. You could have taken it the right one. You know, I mean, I know your GPS is better than mine. <laughs> you know, and God's like, are you kidding me? I have promised you many great promises. And you, instead of being thankful for the small steps that I am bringing to you, instead of the small miracles, instead of being thankful for that, you are moaning and grumbling about why you didn't get your perfect way. So what is shaking in your world, your future, your faith, your family, your finances, your business, farm, the children? the spouse, the marriage, it's a shaky world out there, you know, and we could use some unshakable hope, but you're not going to get unshakable hope unless you make up your mind this morning that the promises of God are unrelenting, unbending, and perennial, and abundant. And if your future and your family and your faith and your finances are shaky right now, you're not alone. You know, you know we live in a day of despair. The suicide rate in America has increased 24% since 20. 2002, I, 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 because I'm a counselor, and Pastor and Sister Jean know I'm a, I'm, I'm a full-time counselor. I've had to kind of read boring details like that. It's not boring, but I had to read it because I counsel uh, people that want to harm themselves and people that are very depressed and anxious, and the suicide rate in America has increased 24. That's just in this nation alone, not counting for Europe, which is now up by 35%, the suicide rate. 24% increase in those that want to eliminate their lives. If a disease saw such a spike, you know what we'd call it? An epidemic. We'd call it an epidemic. So there's an epidemic of suicide. How do we explain this horrible increase? We've never been more educated. I mean, compared to our grandparents... We, we've never been more educated and, 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 and inundated with information from social. Oh, God, please stop. I don't want to read another one more article about somebody else's opinion. Google has to crash some point. There's so many things, very good things out there and equally kooky things out there as well. I'm almost afraid to Google anything because you don't know whether you, what you're reading is verifiable or not. There are ways to find out. I guess somebody else is deciding what I need to know and what I don't. The media decides what information to filter to me. I need to be so wary and so vigilant, hyper vigilant on the information that I'm getting flooding into my living room. To me, my husband, my family, 
We've never been more educated. We have tools of technology and psychology our parents could not have dreamed of. We are saturated with entertainment and recreation and games. And yet more people than ever are orchestrating their own deaths. 24% spike with all the education, psychology, and tools and entertainment. I think that is the reason. I think there's so much, there's a flood of entertainment and education the unfiltered down our living rooms that we cannot handle it anymore and we are looking for a way of escape and our young people just can't handle it anymore. Our millennials cannot handle it anymore. They need our love and, 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 and protection more than ever. Don't just label them and walk away. Oh, they're millennial. They got an attitude. I counsel millennials. One particular millennial told me, see, I'm labeling her, but I, don't, I can't mention her name because she's a client. She told me, she said, you know what I'm tired about? She said, that I'm just a millennial to everybody's eyes, but I'm a person with feelings and thoughts. And, I, and, and if I'm wrong, I really want the truth. I really want the truth. She's in a gay lifestyle. She's a millennial. She goes to college. She's homosexual. Uh, and, and she told me, I just want the truth. I said, you really do, don't you? She said, yes, I really do. I don't want to mess around. I know I've made mistakes, but I just, want, I just don't want people to label me and walk away like I'm some freak show. How can this be? Among the answers must be that people are dying the lack of hope. And that's why I think that there's a spike in suicide because people don't have hope anymore, Pastor. They don't have hope anymore because people who have hoped in the media now are being let down. People have hoped in other religions are being let down, major. People have hoped in social media to get them to feel good about themselves because they have about 50,000 people following them that they never will meet. It doesn't work anymore. Social media does not and cannot give you the, the self-confidence that you think it does by looking at how many people tweeted your post. It's a bubble. And when, when, the, when the person realizes that they've built everything, they've built a, all, a, a whole persona, a whole personality around what social media people think of them and how many followings I have and how many people have reposted it. So they, they, they build this bubble around their mind that they are important. And when they suddenly realize that this doesn't really exist in the real world, they are still alone. They want to escape it. They can't handle it. And so they want to snuff it. Oh, this is an opportunity for the rest of us who know the word of God stands true. It is real. It's not a bubble. The word of, well, the word of God is real. The promises of God, Sister Jean, is real. It's real. The word is real. It's not something created by social media to make you feel good for five minutes every morning before you go to work. It's real. God is there. God will not lie and cannot lie. He will be there for you even till the end of time. The people have promised. Oh, you know what the sad thing is, Pastor, about the suicide rate as well? Many people have believed that this world is as good as it gets. Yeah, that's it. They look at the world, yeah, and they say, you know what? This is as good as it gets, and this is really bad. Yeah, there's no sense in trying to live this out because this is going to be as good as it gets. It's really bad right now, so I want out. But you know, the people have promised, and that's you. You have an advantage. 
Yeah. You don't look around the world and say, this is as good as it gets. You already know this is as good as it gets. You're not surprised by it because Jesus already warned you that this is as good as it gets. You are looking to another world, another land, and you're saying, oh, you know what? This earth will pass me by. I'm just a passing through. My treasure's made up somewhere beyond the blue. And people have promised, determined to ponder, proclaim, and pray the promises of God. And they're like Abraham. They didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged, Abraham plunged headfirst into the promise and came up strong. Romans 4 says that. The people have promised, filter life through the promises of God. When prom- problems surface, they can be heard telling themselves, but God said, I know, Pastor, he, he's left me. And the children don't talk to me. And they've not come around for Christmas a long time. And I'm alone, Pastor, and I'm struggling. And I don't know what to do. But, Pastor, God said. God said. Oh, that's an advantage we have, Sister Jean. God said. I heard myself telling that to somebody when Daddy died of cancer. And he was not dead yet. He was, he was dying. He was, cancer was eating up his body. And, and I kept telling the doctor, but God said. And when finally God did take him, he was talking in tongues. Daddy died talking in tongues. He got the Holy Ghost and he died saved. You know why? Because God said. Because God said. The the promises of God is like an apothecary shelf. Have you ever been to a pharmacy? It's full of medicine. An apothecary shelf of remedies. It's better than the pharmacy, whatever the pharmacy can give you anyway. Just the, the doctor might prescribe medication for your body. God has given promises for your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your walk, your relationship, your children, your finances, your future, your present, and even your past. God has given promises for everything. He shares them as gifts from a friend to a friend. Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. Psalms 25 says that. For every problem in life, God has given the medicine of his promise. So if you're feeling fearful, Judges 6 says, the Lord is with you. If you feel your word is out of control, Romans 8 says, all things work together for good. If you see dark clouds on the horizon, John 16 says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Almost, I've, and not been long in the ministry, Pastor, but 28 years. <laughs> I'm a new kid on the block compared to a lot of people who have believed the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years. I want to do that too. But almost 28 years of being in the ministry, I've discovered that nothing lifts the weary soul like the promises of God. Have I gotten weary in ministry? Yes. Yes. Last night, for example. <laughs> Conference was fabulous. We had 28 people receive the Holy Ghost. I tell you what, this beautiful Illinois district has some wonderful altar workers that know what to do when it comes to people receiving the Holy Ghost. And they did it, and God did it. And the book, book, this book, this book, this Bible contains some of my favorites. Many of them are go-to promises I've turned to throughout the years to encourage others and to encourage myself because we desperately need them. We don't need more opinions or hunches. I'm tired of hunches. I've got a hunch. No, 
No, no, no, no, no. I have an opinion. I'm not, I'm not rude to people. I hope that to say I don't want to hear your opinion. I, I, if you have an opinion, I, can, I welcome you to share it, but I'm not going to build my life on it. I'm not going to build my life on a hunch. I need the definitive declarations of our mighty and loving Savior. He governs the word according to these great and precious promises upon which I stand and you stand. Let's all stand right now. The circumstances of life and the promises of God. You know, I'm going to say this little story. I'm going to give it to pastor. He knows the pulse of this church because the word of God says he is the angel of this church. Pastor, pastor preached that the other day, pastor. Pastor Mangan. He loves saying, hey, your pastor is the angel of your church. One time I went up to him and said, you're a tall angel. I'm glad you're my angel, I told him. Your pastor is the angel of the church. That's scripture. As I'm not making it up. But Jesus told a story of two home builders. Two people that built a house. They had similar supplies. So when I read that scripture as pastor, and I've read that scripture many times. I know you've read it more than I have. But I, I, got, I, I began to talk to God. And I said, God, they had similar supplies. And they had the, almost the same plans. Identical plans, in fact. And identical goals and vision that their structure would stand the test of time. And it would stand through, you know, the bad weather. Each of them wanted to build a house. And I'm going to tell you a modern version of this before pastor comes. And I'm going to give him the mic to lead you to the presence of God. But I want you to do this. When he calls you out to, to pray, I want you to make a pledge to yourself. Not even to God, to yourself. That you will begin to trace back those promises that you knew that were given that was given to you when you were first born again. And when Bella, when you got the Holy Ghost two years ago, you remember God gave you a promise that He'll always be with you, and He is. Look, look at you now. You're doing so well in the Lord. I'm proud of you. They each wanted to build a house. And the modern day version, I'm going to just tell you a modern day version of the parable. And it might read like this. Two people set out to build their house. The first went to RPF Home Supply. RPF Home Supply. Regret, pain, and fear. RPF. Regret, pain, and fear. Home Supply. He ordered lumber that was rotted by guilt. He ordered nails that were rusty from pain. And cement that was watered down with anxiety. And since his home was constructed with RPF, regret, pain, and fear. Every day, it was consumed with regret, pain, and fear. And the second builder chose a different supplier. He secured his supplies from Hope Incorporated. Hope Inc. Rather than choose regret, pain, and fear, he found ample promises of grace, protection, and security. And he made the deliberate, conscious decision to build a life from a storehouse of hope. Which do you think of the two builders was wiser? Which of the two you think in the end was happier? Which of the two is most like you? And by the way, I'm standing on a promise as I share these words that my mother that went to church three weeks ago is going to get the Holy Ghost by the end of the year. There was a 
a prophet of God, a missionary that told me your mother's going to get the Holy Ghost this year. I'm standing on it. It wasn't a hunch. It wasn't an opinion. It was based on Acts chapter 2. That they will receive the Holy Ghost if they seek Him. God's Word always produces fruit. It shall accomplish all that I want it to and prosper everywhere I send it. He said this in Isaiah. And picture God's words right now as you lift up your hands. Picture His words falling like rain from heaven on you. Imagine these promises as gentle spring showers or fall showers. Receive them right now. Allow them to land on you, to soak you right now. And tell God right now, Lord, tell Him, Lord, Shout it out, Lord, Lord, I'm trusting that word. I'm trusting your word. Tell him right now, I'm trusting your word. I'm trusting that your word will prosper in my life. Will you join me and pastor right now in believing these promises? Pastor, the Lord bless you. Keep your hand up as pastor comes. Oh, come on, let's magnify the Lord together right now. Come on. Come on, right now. God's given us a word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I praise you, God. I praise you, God. God's going to do something right now. I'll tell you what, I'm standing over there, and our singers are coming, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, seek the Lord here. We're going to water this word for just a moment before we leave. While I was standing over there, I heard the Lord say, just as strongly as I've ever heard Him, and it's in the Word of God, so we know it's true. But He said, I want you to tell these people, I have not given them that spirit of fear that they have. I haven't given them that worry. I haven't given them that anxiety. That's not my will for their life. So it's going to be real easy, real simple, I should say, simple. Somebody here, you're worried about your kids. Amen. Somebody here worried about their family. Somebody here afraid they're going to lose this or afraid of what the doctor's going to say or afraid of, for their parents or afraid for the outcome or you're living in constant fear about something. We're going to open this altar for you to say, Lord, I'm giving you all that worry and all that fear today, I believe I'm standing on unshakable promises. I said, I believe I'm standing on unshakable promises. Now, Sister Vani mentioned those two men that built their house. The Bible tells us the storm is going to come. And the only definer of what your life is built on is going to be tested by the storm. If it's, on, if it's on sand, it's going to be obliterated. But if it's on the rock, it's going to stand the test of the adversity. So right now, I want to open this altar for any parent, family member, friend. First time here, doesn't matter. I'm going to give my fear to the Lord. I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my grades. I'm worried about my failing health. I'm worried about my parents. Come on, right now, the Lord said, I haven't given you that fear. I want you to come right now in the name of Jesus. Just step out. And Lord, I'm bringing all my worry. I'm bringing all my fear. I'm going to stand. I'm standing on the Word of God. Come on, right now, all over the building. 